Hey everyone, welcome to the Going in Circles Big Monday Show, the Memorial Day version. Barry and I talk about a bunch of different stuff, a um, variety of racing topics. It's a it's a time when a racing podcast doesn't have to look far for topics. Let's just say that. Anyways, we'll be back in about a minute and 42 seconds with the sniper himself, Mr. Barry Spears. Pleasant Acre Farms is a full-service breeding operation located in Morriston, Florida, just outside of Ocala. If you want to get involved in the breeding business in the Sunshine State, or you're already involved, Pleasant Acre Farms is really the only place you need to know. Joe and Helen Barbazon, who are just great people, do a fantastic job taking care of your mare. Uh, They have a solid roster of 13 stallions with a really diverse group of pedigrees. Your mare will find a match at Pleasant Acre Farms. Currently, the star of Pleasant Acre Farms stallion roster is Neolithic, who is by far a runaway winner of the Freshman Stallion of the Year here in the state of Florida. His son, Make It Big, just made it 3-for-3, three three, winning the $400,000 Springboard Mile at Remington Park, earning 10 points towards the Kentucky Derby in the process. Pleasant Acre Farms is your one-stop shop for breeding in the state of Florida. Check them out at www.pleasantacrestallions.com or on Twitter at P-A-S Stallions. You can also give them a call at 352-528-2885. Pleasant Acre Stallions, check them out. Hello, sir. What up? What's going on? Well, what's happening with you, sir? Uh, not much, you know, kind of doing the uh the old horse player thing on a monday a little memorial day monday action a little bit a little bit a little bit do we have any luck yeah yeah no, gave all... out a, a kind of an obvious exacta on twitter okay with a, with a baffert horse in the sean mccarthy barn that had typical baffert works mcbaffert yeah, just, you know, really long, fast works, better than everybody else, and the horse ran them off their feet. Wow. Crushed the exacta for $36 for two bucks, and, uh, you know, we rolled. I mean, I, I obviously had it for more than two bucks, but, you know, we'll just keep that between us. Well, yeah, we have to specify what the, um, the wager amount is because we aren't able to standardize these things in racing. So it was a piece. It was a 20 cents, piece. Some are for 50 cents, some are for a dollar, some are for $2. $30 win, <laughs> $20 exacta. Is there nothing more disappointed or disappointing than when you cash a ticket and you thought the will pays were to a, um, a dollar, but they were actually to $2? Oh my God, that's the worst. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's so crazy how they do that. Like on on the app, 
it's like it's hit or miss. Sometimes it's the the dollar payoff. Sometimes it's a two dollar payoff. Yeah, I don't understand why it's not standard. You know, across the board. No, nah, nothing is standard across the board. No, it's 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 a little annoying at times, but I guess I'm used to it. <laughs> don't worry, heist is coming. They're gonna fix it. I don't understand how people think heist is going to solve everything when it's not going to do really anything for a long time. Seems like a lot of a, a lot of trouble creation is coming in the next month. And well, it's just be... crazy because you know, I, I know we've been talking about it ourselves um, for a long time, for over a year, pretty much. And it's just I can see it coming where. They're going to put things in and going to realize it's a bad idea and then take it back. Well, I don't know. Out of that trial. You have more faith. I I don't think they'll take it back. I think they'll just say, well, too bad. And then we'll be given one of those typical, um, typical, oh, well, you know, you should have learned to regulate yourself, (laughs) even though that never actually happened. But, um, Imagine it's that. just a little scary to me that we're about a month away from them implementing it, and they have given virtually no details. No deets. We have no answers to most of the questions, and if they're delusional enough to think that you're going to have the vast majority of people, horses, um, and others registered by July 1st, I, I mean... That's impossible. It's um, it's difficult because we don't have. It's not like okay, you turn on uh, channel three and everybody gets all the racing information from channel three, so everybody gets the same message. It's all standardized. It's not, and, and people forget a lot of times that not everyone has this stuff on their mind twenty four hours a day like we do. Um, or even some people that maybe you know don't look at it all the time, but you know kind of keep track of it and, and, and mm-hmm. you know keep an eye on it. And a, a lot of people don't even think that it um, it includes them. And let me tell you, if you're involved in turbo racing in, in virtually any capacity, you're going to be required by federal law to register. Now we don't know what the penalties are, if any exist. Uh, for people not registering because essentially they're wanting they're wanting breeders to register and that's something that's well it's difficult because um number one they've never been most of the not that they haven't been licensed a lot of the people are our owners as well but um breeding is not really a racing activity Right, it, it's it's an agricultural activity. It's it's not you know. Yeah, we're all interrelated. Right. But, Technically, it wouldn't fall under HISA. It'd be falling like if you were going to put it to a government sense, it'd be Department of Agriculture, correct? But it's but it's under HISA. Right. Exactly. Be and that that's the big big issue. And um, you know what bothers me is the the lack of transparency because I think in a situation like this, if you're not being transparent it's because you really have a lot of work to do and you don't want to admit it. Uh, or you just don't have real good answers to a lot of the problems that are cropping up. And they're going to, you know, use, they're going to blame the artificial deadline that, that was set. But 
Um, I, I just don't, I mean, we've gone through this before and I wrote about it the other day and, you know, and, and the, 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 the going in circles digest. Um, and it's just, they seem to suffer from a lack of practical knowledge. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know how I, else to put that. Um, I want to be clear, you know, with my standing on Hissa is that I think the idea of Hissa is a good thing. However, the application and practice leaves a lot to be desired because it wasn't, in my opinion, planned effectively enough for everybody to be up to speed at the point to where, you know, when it starts on July 1st, everybody's going to be on the same page. And there was, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but it just didn't seem like there was enough communication. I mean, I only just recently saw uh, someone at a racetrack talk about owners and everybody registering. And this was last week. So, I mean, you know, a month and a half out. Right. So they seem to spend a, an inordinate <laughs> time on uh, the jockey whipping thing. Um which seemed to have already kind of been solved in that the Kentucky rule, which is very closely aligned with uh, the Hissa rule, um, it was, I mean, listen, we're all understanding that there's going to be some sort of uh, regulation regarding the number of strikes and how high you put it and all that stuff, right? It's all minutiae. But it seemed like that was under control, and they, they spent an awful lot of time on that and i guess my point is that that is like very very simple <laughs> the very simple well yes yeah, the control, not controllables type thing it basically becomes a, a battle of opinions right and um it, we all see it we can anybody can sit there and count the number of strikes basically you rewind it a couple times it's right out there in the open it, it's something that really isn't that complicated and really shouldn't have been um, difficult for them to take care of. And it appears that they, they've got that settled, right? But there's so many other things that are just super complicated. And the communication has just been, like, horrible. And that is something that just is unacceptable. Because you're, you're as Lisa Lazarus says, it's a federal law now. Exactly. Well, we should have every freaking detail of what that federal law is going to entail and, and what uh, are we going to look at when things go awry because they're definitely going awry okay i'm going to tell you right now july 1st or july 2nd or whatever july 1st said that july 2nd you're not going to have a lot of horses and a lot of people signed up uh as for the help the the, the employees that are supposed to be signed up you'll have virtually none of them signed up to- well i would hope that they give some sort of grace period for that because you know just flipping the switch on july 1st is just going to shake too many trees and it's going to be way too difficult for everybody to to jump on board i mean even now even if they started you know alerting people now uh to everything and and what they need to do as far as history goes it's still too big of a task in my opinion that um there's no way that that's going to be that, that's the thing is how do you get a hold of people 
How many people read the Blood Horse and the Pollock Report? Uh, and, and racing. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, I'd say quite a I bit, but I know, I know can't this, count on that without know knowing. This, based upon their advertising prices, <clears throat> they don't they don't have fifty thousand people looking at it a day. So, how many owners do you think we're talking about? How many trainers? How many employees? How many horses? I mean, I mean the horses don't read it, thankfully, but they don't. It's just a big undertaking, and the the thing is this is that done a good job leading up to this on um, saying, hey, you guys got to be signed up by this date. Right. They should have been preparing. Here's, here's some details. And for we'll a have year. more for you, you know, <laughs> next week or next month. I mean, Lisa Lazarus, who makes a considerable amount of money to do this, uh, she's well paid, which, you know, it's a job that you should be well paid. I mean, we're talking about regulation of a you know couple billion dollar industry. So, um, we, 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 you know, she, she had a interview, uh, with Ron Flatter, I don't know, maybe six weeks ago and ISA was off limits. It was just, it was just about her. Um, she wouldn't talk about it and, and, and she's not even been there that long. And I, and I understand it's not an easy position. It doesn't matter how much money you make. If you get put in a position that's difficult when you're getting sued by multiple parties and you're trying to create this from scratch and you have no one with practical experience guiding you, because if you, if, if there is, they don't, <laughs> I don't know who told them what the hell they're, they've been doing, but um, it's just like, it's almost flippant, like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you're not done by July 1st. And you need to have consequences because this is not, <laughs> trust me on this, you need to have deadlines and you need to have consequences for not meeting those deadlines. Otherwise, it'll never, ever, ever, ever get done. So they would be much better off saying what the consequences are. We're going to have a two-week grace period. We're going to have a one-month grace period. We are not going to have any grace period. Say whatever it is. And once that happens, then the thing moves, you know. Right. At least something's in motion. Like, right now, it's just at a standstill until July 1st, and they flip the switch, and then whatever happens, happens. And uh, we've kind of done a, a, a pretty good job in racing on the regulatory side about, uh, I mean, Getting owners licensed and getting people licensed is a giant um, hassle. <laughs> and it's yeah, difficult food. and it doesn't need to be. But, you know, you're dealing with 38 different states and 38 different bodies and, and all that. And, and this heist is not going to change that. You're still going to have to get licensed in all these states. It's the, nothing changes. But um, one of the things that we've done is they've granted temporary licenses in most places where um like new you know there's so many different uh deadlines for your license in most states your license goes from january 1st to december 31st uh in in uh florida your license goes from july 1st to june 30th in new york your license goes to your birthday back to your birthday so you have a license in Kentucky, Florida, and New York. You have three different deadlines and three different terms in which the your license 
existed and so that that alone is makes it difficult but we've always had something called a, like a temporary you take out a temporary license um and the owner has uh, most most states it's, it's it's like a grace period the trainer signs an affidavit saying that the owner will get licensed blah 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 and then the owner has 30 days to get his, his ducks in a row and i i know that you know one thing that heisa does not include at least at, at this point is fingerprinting which is a which is giant which is not only a giant waste of time it's it's just a like legalized robbery time as far is- as i know they haven't caught a single person ever at any state at least in the you know the modern times with fingerprints and fingerprinting the same person over and over again uh seems ludicrous and i mean let's call it what it is it's, it's a it's a revenue generator for the states that's all it is i mean why, why would you need my license every five years or my fingerprints every five years you know if i've committed any felonies in between so um that that's the thing is is that I, and i know people will say oh how hard is it well it is hard it's hard number one because so many people don't even know that they are required to do this and you say well they should know well what do you mean they should know where have they been given uh any notice of this outside of um some some like literally hearsay trades right just people saying this and you know kind of just people talking about it that's that's really how i am it seems like everybody found out there's no like form letters going out to tracks or, you know, at least that I know of. Um, but, it, you know, like I said, that that's why this whole endeavor seems like it's not going to pick up any traction, if at all. Well, the thing the that life. scares me is, is that they don't. I mean, they, they have no, no oversight, essentially. So if they decide, like, all right, well, we're just going to go hardcore, and if you're not registered or all the owners aren't registered and the horse and the trainer aren't registered, then we're not letting the horse run. They right. have the ability yeah. to lock the horse out of the encompassed system. And that's the scary thing is if they decide to do that, we're not going to have races because we have short fields as it is. As a matter of fact, I think that's a topic we should talk about as well because um, Crunk put out a stat uh, this mm-hmm. afternoon that is really kind of ominous. troubling. <laughs> ominous is, a, is a be- probably a better word. Uh, either one. But um, <laughs> we can barely get cards to go as it is. And this is like a, a basically a nationwide problem. And it goes more than standardized drug regulation what we need more than anything was a national body that paid attention to the trends and spent time researching things and offered suggestions that might get some traction honestly i don't understand why the tracks don't do that shit because the tracks only care about themselves and the tracks don't care about anything else yeah but that in their state schedules how they they they, yeah but that's sustainability you know, sustainability. You yeah, know, but they don't. Yeah, but tra- Barry, you're forgetting that, that most tracks have other forms of revenue. True. And and a lot of them have that that the, the real big money maker. <laughs> the land. 
the land, right? Whatever they're so, <laughs> you know, I mean, we see tracks run. We see tracks owned by the same company running at the same time. The stake schedule is really, it's getting some attention finally. And, and I'm not the lone wolf out there, like, screaming at the top of my lungs. Hey, does it really make sense to run three uh, graded Philly sprints in four weeks? Does that really make a lot of sense? Uh, no. But um, that's the thing is that the tracks only care about the tracks. Churchill only literally cares about Churchill tracks. And honestly, they care about the tracks from the revenue generation. And a lot of times that revenue generation might not be racing related. Um, Naira is, you know, Naira controls Naira. Um, they're not really in a position to to uh, to do things for the greater good. Um, same with, with First or Stronic or whatever you want to call them. They've got their own issues to deal with. Um, it, it's just, we're not a league. We never have been. We never will be. It's just not set up that way. And that's the problem with our sport. Uh, and, I, I mean, I got to a point where I just said, I don't want to hear it. Don't talk to me. Don't tag me on things on Twitter or Facebook to talk about a commissioner. There is no commissioner. There can't be a commissioner because no one's ceding power. That's the simplest thing. That if a commissioner doesn't have any power, then good is the then he's not really a commissioner, right? <laughs> you know, like um, the commissioner in sports, pro sports, works for the owners. The owners own pro sports. All right, the NFL owners own the league. Everyone's an employee of theirs. The, the commissioner is an employee of the owners. All the front office people, all the referees, all the players, all the people that work at the, the, the stadium, everyone works for the owners. The owners own the league. In horse racing, Churchill Downs doesn't own a single horse. They don't own a single horse. They own tracks. They don't own the horses. The owners own the horses. And the owners don't really employ anybody anyways. The only people they usually quote-unquote employ is like a racing manager. They don't employ the trainers. <laughs> Believe me, when you get fired from a from an owner after working for him for a long time, no severance packages. Uh, you know, you don't, they, don't, they don't give us health care. They don't do anything. It's not a relationship <laughs> of, a, of, of an employee um, employer, even though some people want to make it out to be. It's not. It, it, it's a vendor. You're a vendor. You're, you're working... You have a, a business. As right, a in, independent contractor. Independent contractor, right. And, you know, you, you operate in that in that arena. Jockeys are independent contractors. They work for themselves. Trainers work for themselves. Trainers have owners that are clients of theirs. But the owners don't have to keep the horses with them either. And hell, they don't have to pay them. Believe me, if we were employees, they'd have to pay. We'd go to the state labor board and get paid every time. Trust me, <laughs> lots of trainers are not getting paid. You know. Meanwhile, we have the California Racing Board worried about giving jockeys a, a stallion season to a horse they might ride one time in their life. Meanwhile, uh, you know, trying to collect from from people. No, we we we're not a collection agency. But, um, yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot going on. A lot of things in motion that aren't really in motion. <laughs> oh, 
we didn't start off on a positive note today. <laughs> yeah, we just got right into it, bro. Well, it's the truth, and and you know when people say, "Well, why are you so negative all the time?" Well, there's not a lot of great stories, unfortunately, and that's not our fault. We didn't create the problems. Um, we're talking about them, and you know, I know that gets some people upset, but you know what? Deal with it. Well, I mean, you know, just on the surface, like, you know, you know my angle as, you know, my standing, I guess, or I don't know what you want to call it in horse racing. And for me, you know, the 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 alarm bells go off when I see a pick five with two four horse races in it you have to say that's a problem <laughs> it's coming everywhere too it's right. not just it, and, and i think california is kind of <laughs> unfortunately for them at the forefront of the the horse uh, population issue but nobody out there knows how many horses are out there nobody knows and i think that that's I've been critical of racetracks because racetracks for essentially eternity have depended on the owners to provide the product for them. The owners provide the horses. The horses are what gets bet on. That's, that's the product. The racetracks are selling tickets. They're selling wagers on. And yes, it does cost them money. Um, it's not as though they, and, and remember one thing that the tracks don't give us purses. Purses are a percentage of the handle and percentage of whatever slot machines or sports wage or whatever. Those are contractual deals. They're not giving anything out. They don't give away purses. Hmm. Um, that that's that's just a mistake. You know, people think, oh, that that's what they give you. Well, that's not what they give you. They give us what's contractually obligated, and very rarely more or less than that. Um, but the tracks do pay for the backside. And uh, I'm sure it's a considerable amount of money to maintain the track surfaces, to um, maintain the barn area, to deal with the, the, um, uh, the EPA has been torturous to some tracks. Um, just, you know, um, they've made things very difficult on, on, on the tracks which have been operating in the same manner for a long, long, long time. And, um, you know, so some of the tracks are built in, in areas that it, it's, it's extremely difficult to adapt to rules that change all the time. I'll leave it at that, but <laughs> it's expensive to, to you know, the, the, to, to remove the manure from a racetrack costs a year. A couple million, I would think. It's it's seven figures in most places. Yeah. Um. It's it's a tremendous amount of money, and and you know now you're talking about, uh, in a situation where, gas or diesel is five dollars or something a gallon. I'm, I'm sure those those prices haven't gone down. Um, but that being said, the tracks have taken for granted that owners would show up with horses because they always have. 
and they never have really done it's not as though they ignore them and, and some tracks do much 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 more than others keeneland for example is tremendous um from an ownership standpoint it, they they go above and beyond but of course they're running 15 days in the fall and spring and the fall so um it's it's <laughs> whole whole month total right plus they have a, a you know a massive sales operation horse sales are um you know, it's a it's a customer relation driven business. So, yeah, they have that little bit of an advantage. But but the tracks have not really um, they haven't really changed in spite of a declining foal crop, which, as we've said before, it's not horses refusing to have sex with each other. It's there's no one that's willing to sponsor that sex between them, so there's 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 less going on, meaning there's less um, foals, which means there's less racehorses, and that's an ownership thing. If if we could, uh, if I if I found ten thousand people next week that all wanted to buy a horse, we could create more horses. No, we couldn't create them next week, but we can create more horses to fill that demand. We'd seen it happen in the late seventies, early eighties. They were the full crop was up to like something ridiculous, like seventy five thousand. Holy shit! Now we're sitting at like what seventeen thousand, eighteen thousand, and that's with we're struggling to fill races, we're struggling to fill cards, and people have some people have this convoluted idea also of well, we should just cut back, you know, we should close up some of the tracks. Well, that doesn't work. Because where are you going to close that's going to um, affect on a positive manner the next track on the totem pole? Meaning, if you close Penn National, it's not going to help Belmont. It's not going to help Santa Anita. It's not going to help probably Gulfstream. It's probably not going to help Churchill. Because the horses that could compete at those tracks would have already been there. No one's saying, hey, I'm going to run a Penn National for 24000 uh, maiden or whatever they're there uh, are 28,000 instead of going to Churchill and running for 120,000. If you could compete at Churchill, you would be at Churchill. I'm sure that there's, you know, a starter horse here. There's a horse here and there that, that, that could, but you're talking, you know, 10 horses out of a backside of a, maybe a thousand. So it's, it's not as though we got rid of, um, the 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 Houston Rockets, <laughs> right? Where where ten of the guys would definitely find their way to another team. It's not like that. It's it's different. Even the worst teams in, in pro sports have viable players. If you got rid of, um, I don't know, one of them. Well, them, them Western them tracks out west. Uh, well, the Beanie's track, Grants Grants Pass, Pass yeah. Right. The, the horse is kind of filtered here and there, but they're just filling in the blanks a little bit. They're, it's it's not like you keep you keep closing tracks, you keep closing tracks, you keep closing tracks. There was a, a post a couple of weeks ago. Was, I don't even think it was a couple of weeks ago about um, gambling in general and people 
how many people are was like 39% of people that list themselves as a- avid gamblers, active gamblers make a play every day. Yeah. Make a play every day. Yeah. And that just goes in 180 degree opposite direction of the thought process that well we need to contract and we need to run less. Those people are going to bet something else. No one's sitting around waiting for our cards anymore. And I get that. Yes, we, we have this, this this really difficult balance of um, running enough versus running enough races that deserve to be written. But in the end, we've got to get more horses. And that, that starts with owners. It starts with treating the owners we have better. Making ownership something, and a lot of times it's not even a huge monetary thing because it's pretty apparent that just throwing money at it for purses isn't going to work because what happens when you just throw money at it and you don't control the rest of the equation, you let the super trainers go wild, you let um, you, you fill you you create races for them. You help them. You make the other smaller trainers fodder for the super trainer because you gotta get them ready for the stake or this or that or whatever other you know nonsensical excuse that they come up with that they use all the time. The more money you have, the more the big outfits eat. So it's not that you can't just throw money at it. You need to make ownership feel more important than you do and that's the racetracks but they they're not alone the breed organizations the horsemen's organizations um everything we need to make it more special i don't have the answer i have got the philosophical answer but i don't have the detailed answers oh well this needs to be done or that needs to be done this needs to be done this needs to be done but one thing you should do is stop charging for everything and stop treating them like, um, and, and I mean charging them for, for like uh, petty stuff. Give them a stupid program. It doesn't cost you anything. Give them the program. If, you know, like, just try. Have, a, a, have a, a liaison. Tracks don't even have owner's liaisons anymore. We, we did that for a while, and it was successful. We gave the, the, the owners, all of them, and the trainers, a person, a point person that could help them, assist them with making arrangements and, and getting tables or getting admission passes or explaining to them if they've never been to the track where to go, blah, blah, blah. Simple stuff. Most of the tracks got rid of them. Why? They cut costs. Cut, 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 cut. And that's that's a problem and um yeah i mean the the fancy owners they, they they have their boxes and their suites and stuff we're not talking about them they're not going anywhere you know they're here <laughs> those guys they're not going anywhere it, it's it's everybody else those are the guys that, that are gone the middle class trainers and their owners people like me I had 50, 60, 70 horses at one time. And it wasn't a it wasn't a lot of horses we were looking to, you know, get our grade one and send them the stud. Huh. 
believe me. It was the killing fields for their nuts for most of them. Like they got, <laughs> they didn't show something right away. They got killed. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't hanging. Out. We weren't messing around. But, but that's the thing is 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 that the guys like me are are gone, increasingly gone, and it's it's you gotta get you gotta give us a reason to come back. And you know what the sad thing is? That, I mean, technically, this is probably the best time ever to own a horse. The field size is way down. Purses are through the roof. Um, the big outfits, they only throw them one at a time. I mean, if you're a, a relatively small barn, you're better off almost sometimes with, with all the good horses being in one guy's barn or two guys' barn because they're only going to run one or two at a time. If those seven or eight, nine horses were spread out, the hell, we'd have a lot better races. But for the guy running against them, it wouldn't be better. It'd be, it'd be worse. But but that's kind of a, it's kind of a crappy app, you know, like um, point to, to have to make. But well, I sure wish when I was in Kentucky, we were running for the money they run for now. <laughs> Probably still be trained. <laughs> yeah, I'd be trained for myself. I wouldn't need owners. If I could win eighty thousand, win an allowance race. But that's that's the thing. Is that and and no one, you know what, Barry is, is nobody thinks it's their job. Yeah, and that's a huge problem because it's like somebody should have had the forethought, especially with this just very basic thing of registering the owners to get out ahead of it to make sure that all of this gets done and there's been nothing like that no nothing and that's that's the thing that that should have been happening like a year ago (laughs) should have been happening like a year ago when they knew this was going down i mean like they should have they should have got an extension of some sort i'm not a poli side major I, i don't know all the rules but they they had 30 days on for the jockey's whips and for the for the shoes. So, I mean, the, obviously the ability is there. And I don't know. It, it just seems like, I, I guess maybe, may, maybe it's kind of a backhanded compliment as I expected more. But there's going to be plenty of time to bitch about this. And well, believe I, me. A you month know. from now, if, if they draw a hard line in the sand and say no horses can run with all the owners that own any piece of the horse aren't uh, registered and the horse isn't registered and the trainer's not registered and this guy's not registered, believe me, there there will be plenty of outrage to... We'll ride that outrage wave, right? Right to podcast um, <laughs> nirvana. <laughs> We'll be able to bitch about the government, about about everything. But let's hope it doesn't work out that way because I really don't want to see that chaos. Believe me, I, I, there's lots of other stuff I'd much, much rather talk about than than that. I feel you. It, it's it's kind of just, you know, uncharted territory and it's hard to figure out where this direction is going exactly because... A, there hasn't been enough communication, and B, you know, 
it, it, there's just so many moving parts. It's hard to keep up with. Yeah. I think, um, you know, one idea that I've been thinking about for a while is I think that the, a renewed effort to try to um, build up these state bread programs again in that for some reason we let them, they've kind of slacked off. Um, but state bread programs are really good. I, I don't get the people that don't like them. I mean, to me, that's just, that's asinine. It's a little bit elitist in that state bread programs, number one, they're good for this. They're, they're good because we can go to the politicians with something more than we are our usual song and dance, which has gotten tired. Oh, we create jobs. Uh, yeah, they're like, yeah, great. So do slot machines now. <laughs> That's true, though. I mean, I know. So we can say, hey, you know what? It gives us a, a leg to stand on in the agricultural sector, in the the green sector. In um, it, it does create jobs. Having farms does create jobs. A farm creates a lot of jobs outside the workers on the farm. Yeah, the, the horses have to be fed. The feed has to come from somewhere. Uh, they have to get hay. The hay has to come from somewhere. They they have to have equipment. Oh, they have to be taken care of. They have to have people once they get to a certain age riding them. And and, and it's there's, yeah, it's it's an economic an economic um, generator for sure. And it's easier for us to sell horses on farms than it is racetracks. <laughs> It just is. It's just a, a, maybe the setting or whatever. It just seems like that's something that we could do. I mean, like uh, for me, the big mistake in California is these buffoons are talking about nonsense like like jockey seasons. I mean, that's stupid. It's just stupid. Jockey what? Seasons for the, you know, well, not the jockeys. They, they, they give that out for free. Most of them. <laughs> the little fellows. But um no, the st- you know stallion season for a jockey because oh, of the race, which is ludicrous. That, like you're spending time on nonsense. You know what you should be spending time on? Figuring out ways to rebuild your breeding program, which was a good program out there. It was a solid program. And you know what the thing about a cowbred is? There's no incentive to go anywhere else. There's no incentive to go somewhere else. You want to stay at home. The races are all for you at the California tracks. There's only three tracks left because Los Al is on borrowed time. We already know it's going to be sold. Like we've heard, ah, she's going to sell Santa Anita and Golden Gate. Blah, blah, blah. Well, who knows? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Whatever. We don't know. But Dr. Aldridge already said, <laughs> when I croak, Los Al's gone. So you can pretty much you know, pencil that one in for extinction. Not that they even raced that much anymore, but they had provided stabling and you need cowbreds when you're on an island like California is. And I never hear anybody say it. And people are going to be negative and they're going to say, oh, you don't understand. The program just doesn't get support. Well, someone's got to be out there screaming at the top of their lungs why don't we breed more horses? Oh, it's tough to get stallions? Come on, man. There's lots of stallions. 
for real. <laughs> like the 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 bar to be a stallion at a major farm these days is basically be kind of well bred and you know quote unquote win one race, <laughs> get your grade one, right? Which makes me sick to be honest with you. I'm sick of hearing oh get your grade one, get your grade one. Oh, he got his grade one. Oh, that's great. He won a race, big freaking deal. He won a race. God, I can think of so many. Horses that won grade one races over the years that, that were freaking glorified donkeys. <laughs> but anyways, I know it's expensive. I get it. I understand. But there's, there's, there's money out there. Everybody said, oh, there's no money out there. And then sports wagering came, and guess what happened? Everybody found money. There's more money than anyone even thought there was. There's more money than anyone even considered. It's been there. It's always out there. There's somewhere. There's money. And yet, it's tough economically right now, and inflation is 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 a, a bitch for sure. But... The regional tracks need need to need the state breads. Kentucky doesn't need them. It's stupid to even have. I remember the one year they had this thing. Um, I can't remember who. I don't know if it was the HBPA or National HGPA or the TOBA or somebody about. <laughs> I mean, in theory, it's a, it's a good idea, but in practicality, it didn't it didn't work. Because of the immense difference between you know state bred programs, but uh, it was a, a kind of like a state championship. Like um, I think they had like uh, one long race and one sprinter and um, one for fillies and for for boys. And I, I mean Kentucky just like you know crushes. And Kentucky shouldn't have even been allowed in it. It should have just been you know. Um, Florida, California, New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland—you know the everybody but Kentucky. I actually had a horse named Val. He was the Jersey bred of that that year, and he was like a fifty claimer. He was a nice, nice enough horse. You know, he won a couple ounce races. Um, he grabbed his quarter so bad. I, I swear, it goes from one day. I thought he was going to bleed out. He, he was, it was, it was crazy. But um. I can't remember who we ran against, but I think Pat Byrne had some horse in the in the race from Kentucky, and he just like smoked everybody. Like he was like a grade two horse, you know. We got all these state breds. It was kind of like a state bred Olympics. I, I'm pretty sure they only had it one year because just you know the 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 the, the horses from the lesser tracks in states like Washington and Minnesota and Arkansas they just got like destroyed. They're coming and running like 75 buyers, and these other horses are running hundreds. <laughs> Lopsided. But I, I really think that, um, you know, you, you look at, I mean, Louisiana is a state that not a lot of people pay much attention to outside the fairgrounds. But they've managed to kind of buck some of the trends just because their state bread program is so strong down there. And I went to Fairgrounds for two winters, and uh, I was asked to go by Churchill Downs. Donnie Richardson, who was the president of racing for Churchill Downs at the time, 
asked me the year after the big hurricane if you know he would I would personally do him a favor and send a division to the fairgrounds because mostly I had horses in, in, in Florida. Um, and I used to split in Florida between Tampa and Gulfstream. And I did. I sent him there and, and, uh, for, and I, I went back in the, the next year as well. But it was difficult because we didn't have any Louisiana breads. And like some days, four or five of the races would be Louisiana bread races. So we had no, nothing for any of those races. It's difficult when, you know, the condition book comes out and, and half the races you, you're not going to have any horses for. And it's not like uh, a, a maiden or a claiming race or, oh, you know, your horse might jump up and run better or worse. They're not going to turn into Louisiana breads. You know, they're still going to be Kentucky breads. So uh, it was difficult for me to go there because I didn't have those those type of horses. I didn't have Louisiana breads. It was hard to get Louisiana breads because they all stayed in Louisiana. And I think that's one of the chief um, strengths of a, of, a, of a Pennsylvania, of a state bread program. I think Pennsylvania's done a poor job. They've had, they have tons of money. The racing industry in Pennsylvania has done a, a, a pretty miserable job considering the amount of money that's been spent in that state. And the level of racing is still poor. Um, the Trotters probably did better with with that in that regard in that uh, uh, races at Pocono Downs are a lot better than they used to be. The Meadows is probably marginally better than it was. Harris, Philadelphia didn't even exist. But, yeah, the, the races at parks are better than they used to be. But they're not good enough to really justify the massive amount of investment. You're talking about $2 billion bucks. I, I said this years ago when I was there to, to a, at a form of horsemen. I said, guys, if I give you a billion bucks and this is what you came up with like these tracks and these facilities and, and this, this, you know, ridiculous marketing plan and, 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 you know, ludicrous takeout rates. Uh, I mean, what, what are we doing here? Like, like if, if we have a $35,000 purse for a 7,500 claimer, like how, what is that doing for us as a whole, other than, you know, making horses, um, you know, worth far, far, far more than they should be. But I said we're not growing the thing. You know, the first thing they should have done was 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 cut the handle or cut the um, the takeout in half. But nobody was savvy enough to do it. Nobody had enough political pull to do it. And it just—I mean—it took a long time to remember when. I think it was that Penn and and, and Parks were. The super effective takeout rate was like thirty six percent. Yikes! <laughs> Holy, shit. I mean, it was like like <laughs> like you, you think it's a misprint kind of deal, and nobody saw it as as hey we're got we're getting a, a huge shot in the arm here. Let's grow this business, and it has grown, and, and they've actually made a, a smart decision. Um, was a couple years now when they, when they switched off Saturdays, you know, to more weekdays, so they didn't have competition because on Saturdays you just got buried by by all the big signals. 
but it's still it's 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 a, a a pittance to what it should be. It should have been far better, but a lot of the money was squandered giving it seventy five hundred dollar horses, and those owners didn't go out and buy better horses or didn't breed horses because they were getting huge purses for $7,500 horses. Why would you make the investment in, a, in bloodstock when you can just go out and buy $15,000 horses, run them in for $7,500, and, and, and if you win, you get eighteen, that nineteen, twenty thousand back. I mean, the economics kind of disincentivized investment in bloodstock because you gave too much money to cheap horses. But the people on the ground were saying, well, don't give too much money to the non-cheap horses because most of us just have cheap horses. And that, and that was kind of like uh, the, the, the tail wagging the dog. Instead of trying to get better horses, they just wanted to run for more money with those bad horses. And, and that's, you know, it, it, it's... And, and uh, you know, like the, the, the blame there goes runs deep it's it's literally everyone that had any say in anything the breeders the owners the tracks the horsemen and and, and uh, on the standard bread side those guys too i mean they, they have some purses at um at pocono on a regular basis that uh, are larger than the handle for the race and we're not talking $150,000 purses we're talking, you know, sometimes $22,000 purses and they handle 18 on the race. So that that's, how long is that sustainable? How long is that sustainable? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There, there seems to be, you know, maybe I'm being a little optimistic that there's a, there's, a window of opportunity here to, to kind of write the ship somewhat. And I just, it just has that feeling or the air that the right decision isn't going to be made at the right time. And it's going to make things a little bit worse slowly. You know what I mean? Well, the powers that be in this business don't really know what the hell they're doing. They never did. And and they, I'm sure they're all like, you know, F you, bull guy. But the fact of the matter is that we've always been distracted by bullshit. Whether it was, you know, steroids or whether it was drugs or whether it was this or that or the other thing. No one ever said, hey, you know what, we really need to get together. And do this. We really need. I mean, the NTRA originally was a good idea. It was a good idea, a national marketing program um, that kind of also had the elements of a, a lobbying program. I mean, how's that bad? How, how could any nationwide industry not want that, right? Well, we screwed it up. <laughs> we found a way. <laughs> it into what it is now, which is. Um, I mean, it has its functions now, but this isn't what it was supposed to be. You know, it's not supposed to be running handicap tournaments um, and and uh, you know getting deals for people involved. Uh, you know, with John Deere or, or whatever, and uh, and they do do some lobbying, which is important. I mean, it's 
it's not you know a sexy task but it, it is important but um you know the original idea for the NTRA was going to be kind of a central that that central um office that we've been looking for we had we had it <laughs> you know and like what, what what did we do we we didn't we didn't follow through and in fighting, and then I can do it better than they can do it. And why am I putting money up that's going to help that other guy? And and that's the thing is, racetracks have traditionally seen themselves as, um, as rivals, not not as uh, two businesses in the same um, industry that that could work together to, you know, what's the old saying, uh, rise all ships, right? How, I just brutalized that that statement, but um, you know they 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 don't look at, at uh, sports wagering as the enemy. They're trying to 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 jump in with it. <laughs> so, I mean, that's always my greatest fear for racing and sports wagering is that, unlike slots, where slots, for the most part, don't attract the type of personality that would have a person that would be a, a really successful racing um, player because they just, you know, slots people are just pushing a button and it's just random. And uh, I mean, it's gambling, but it's like random gambling. I mean, there's no skill to it, right? I mean, you're just pushing a button. You have no effect on the outcome at all. Though there are people that actually think they have an effect on the outcome. But um Sports wagering, it's got that same connotation. Everybody that I knew when I was younger that bet sports bet the races. No, I mean, I grew up in Saratoga, so that might be a little different than other places. But it was on the same plane. And and when I say bet, we weren't talking betting like legally like you do now. But that always has been there. If you really wanted to get a bet down, you could figure out a way to do it. Um, when I was a kid, one of the guys used to be, used to hang out right by the wire at the harness track every night and clock horses. He was a bookmaker and, uh, you know, he took action and a lot of his players, he said, I go to where my players are. So. That was when I learned about clock and warm-up times, which is something I don't think ever gets done anymore. Yeah, that's but, got extinct. But um, it's really complicated. And that's the thing. It's like we we still see all the time the magic bullet approach, despite knowing it's not, never going to work. There's not one singular thing. If we could may, wave a magic wand and, and, and say, okay, all drug regulation will be um, standardized and uh, no juice guys will be allowed. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, there's no more questionable things going on on a racetrack. We would still be in a slump. Because people that don't know about Jews guys and don't know about unfairness and don't know about things, they 
It's like I've said before, you don't care about things you don't care about. You know, if they change the rules in cricket, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what they do. I don't know how cricket works. I don't care if they change the rules where they bean the guys with those stupid little balls. I don't things. know how cricket works. Right. Be. I don't either. But it's, a, you know, they got the ball and they got the thing, the wicket or whatever, and they whack it. And, uh, you know, and they play for like six hours in a row and then they drink tea. And it's weird. But, uh, like, it doesn't matter to me because I, I don't follow cricket. You know, like, I got no interest in it. So no matter what they do, it's not going to matter. It's not going to bother me. It's not going to affect me. That's like the vast majority of people with horse racing. And horse racing people keep thinking, oh, we'll change the rules and make it more friendly. Oh, who are you trying You know, people don't follow a sport because of the rules. <laughs> you know, like um, people that aren't big football fans don't say, oh, they changed the pass interference rule. That's great. I, yeah. I've been sitting on the sidelines waiting for them to get rid of that. I just couldn't watch games if they were going to let those – uh, defensive backs put their hands all over the receiver. Like, no one exists that says that. So, like, when we standardize all our rules, you're not going to get a lot of people who have been waiting for the standardization of the rules, especially the drug rules, which no one actually sees. And that's one of the other things about the whole heist of thing is, like, and this is a, this is a comment I've made in, in groups a number of times, and first people look at you, and I'm like, dude, do you know what the rules are? The difference between uh, Maryland's rules and Delaware's rules and nope. Virginia's rules and Kentucky's rules? I go, you don't really know what they are either. You know why? Because it doesn't freaking matter to you. It doesn't matter. It only matters to the people that have to follow them. And it only matters when people get positives. But people are still going to get positives. If all the rules are the same, do you think all the positives are going to go away? They're not. They're not. And most positives aren't intentional. They're just not. And it would be good to have better rules. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. It, but standardizing rules isn't going to bring the masses flooding back here. It, it's just good for the people that are already here. And I've said this to racing executives nationwide. I go, you know what? A drug problem isn't your your, your your track. It hasn't got nothing to do with the actual drugs. It's all to do with the perception. When a guy consistently is moving horses up, and when he loses the horses that consistently go in the tank, it doesn't matter if he's passed every tr test known to man. It doesn't matter if you put his horses in a vault between races it doesn't matter people are going to believe what they believe when a guy claims a horse that's running 75 buyers and he runs them back and he runs 98s no one's gonna believe it's legit and that's the problem that they have when you sell something to the people but you don't know what you're really selling it's the rules are People don't know what the rules are. I would guarantee you that 90% of the people that listen to this show that aren't trainers, well, actually, if, if they aren't trainers, 99.9% .9 of them could not tell you the withdrawal time for banamine in two different states. Couldn't tell you that. You know why? It doesn't affect them. Why would they know? But you're going to say, banamine's going to be uh, 48 hours in all the states from now on. Oh, great. That's awesome. 
how are you going to see it on the racetrack? You're not. <laughs> You're not. That's the thing. You're not going to see it. It's only a, it's a change in, in schedule. That's all it is. Horses aren't going to just start like, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, so-and-so sort of, oh, these horses are all going to run bad now. It's not going to happen. Because the truth of the matter is, they've changed the rules in a lot of places. That Since I started training, the rules have changed massively. I've, I've said this before in the show. We could give like 18 shots in <sighs> Kentucky within 24 hours of a race. In 1999, in the year 2000, 20 years ago, like literally, we could give as many shots as as you you, you it was it, and, and not that anyone did. I'm not saying anyone did. I mean, it'd be stupid to do it. It'd be crazy. Some of the stuff would actually cancel each other out. But you had the ability to quote unquote legally do it. That rules. Those rules have changed drastically. And yet, guess what? Nobody thinks it's on. It's legit. <laughs> so th- that's the question. Like I, I say to people, I go, oh, "All right, you're gonna tell people, oh, well, we got all the rules fixed now. Everything's staying. Everybody's standardized up." Up, 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 up. First time some guy goes on a big streak. Guess what? Yeah, these rules are bullshit too. Oh, uh, they, 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 they <laughs> let him win. Oh, they, they, they throw, they ignore his stuff. And the truth of the matter is, there have been instances where people have fancy names have had tests disappear. I know that for a fact, it has happened, but it's, it's so rare. It's so rare when you think of the tens of thousands of races that are run every year. But perception, man, perception, perception, perception. It's something that it's just eludes those who, who try to make the rules. Um, they don't, they don't get it. They don't get that, uh, People are going to believe what their eyes tell them, not what their ears tell them. Yeah, it's such a such a bad spot to be in in general. You know, it's like, how did we get to this place? And it was a lot of, you know, <clears throat> kind of arrogance, I, I guess you could say. Uh, where, you know, like we've discussed many, many times that horse racing was the only game in town. Now, you know, the, the world changed and we didn't adapt. And, and now we're in such a bad spot. Not an impossible spot, but pretty close. And, and you know what the crazy thing is, too, is that, like, I think that I, I would I would imagine that most of the people who listen to the show are you know, relatively hardcore people. Not hardcore, like, you know, throughout, you know, stuff, but like, you know, people that are hardcore racing people that pay attention to the races a lot, that that um, follow along and have opinions and, and stuff, you know, have, have opinions and have um, reasons for those opinions. But we need enthusiasm, but it can't be fake. 
that that is something. <laughs> Without naming any names, I said to somebody, um, works for a racetrack. I said, listen, man, you guys keep trying to bullshit train horse trainers. Horse trainers, uh, you can say a lot of things <laughs> about them, but they're very hard to bullshit because many of them that's they spend their entire lives doing. So they can see through that. I said, you guys got to start being more honest. <laughs> like, be honest. <laughs> because we see through your bullshit. And everybody's, you know, shakes their head and, you know, ah. but we're all in it together in the same, in, in some way, way, shape, or form, right? I mean, it's not true, but it is kind of true. I mean, it was just, it's just so complicated now because there's that, that, that's, that that truth, that reality, that tracks do a whole lot more than race now. And just horse racing, they just do a lot more than they they you know, they used to. And you know, so we're not we're not uh, you know, we're not everything to them. But but in the end, horse racing still we're still betting. You know, what are we going to target to bid thirteen billion dollars this year? Um, there's still a lot of money involved. And the fact of the matter is, like, you go to the races. I mean, look at how much fun we have when we go to the races. Oh, yeah. Always. You know, and, yeah, we're only going together usually on big days. But still, there's still a lot, like, looking forward to Saratoga, looking forward to the Belma, looking forward to to certain um, days. And, and, and also the social aspect of being with your friends or people you know or people you met and, and, and hearing some of the insane horse tales that, that you get, you know, people have that about the blowing a pick six for 800,000 because the horse scratched at the gate or, you know, like um, there's so many great stories out there. And, and, uh, and that's the thing is, is that racing is still it, the racing part of it. Not all this political minutia bullshit is still great. And the wagering on racing is not as good as it could be, like by any stretch of the imagination. And it's worse than it was. And that's just the way it is. And yeah, there are some things that are better and there's some things that are worse. But overall, when we're having such short fields, when we're seeing 47% favorites win, um, when we're seeing all our big race days turn into chalk fests. Uh, and that's, it seems like it's true about 80% of the time these days. Um, you know, jackpot wagers alone, which is kind of like, um, you know, the, the <laughs> I don't even want to say it, but there, there's, you know, not, not healthy for the wagering public overall. But there, are, it's still there's spots, you know. There's still spots where you can do well, and the feeling you get when you figured something out. It's like when you're training horses. There's like no better feeling than when you had a horse and you could see it coming, and you developed the horse, and you knew um, what the horses was was eventually going to be capable of doing. And they make liars out of you, man. Believe me, horses make liars out of you all the time. Like. I had way more horses that I thought were better than they, they were. When when I had one that I didn't think was any good, I was almost always right, unfortunately. But that feeling that of developing a horse and then seeing them blossom, I guess it's probably like um, watching a, you know a, your your kid get better and better and better at a sport where you, know, you can see all the 
um, the lessons pay off. Like, well, what's that Saratoga dance kid? You know, you watched him from uh, two years ago when he started putting the videos of him shooting to now. I mean, he, he's, you could just see all the improvement in him. I mean, he's just so much bigger and stronger naturally because, you know, kids grow, but you can see how much better he is. And, and that was, that's the thing with Bo. That was one of the gratifying things about um, training was seeing that and being right about that. And I didn't have the opportunity to train a whole lot of expensive horses. And we were always kind of trying to find the one that, that fell through the cracks. And um, a lot of them, you know, just were what they were. $20,000 horses, and they turned out to be $20,000 horses. But every once in a while, you get one, you'd, you'd find one that, that was really a diamond in the rough. And, and that was... That was kind of the allure of it. Yeah, money was always great. I mean, of course, you want to win. You want to you want to be able to pay the bills. But um, but that's the same with wagering. Is, is that is when you you figure something out or you see a horse and you know that the horse is better than it looks, or you figure a race out. You say this is going to happen. Like like I did the other day with the race, and then I screwed it up. <laughs> the race of Belmont, <laughs> where. Where I, I didn't just bet Carmouche to win, and 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 I liked the two in the exact paid what like three hundred forty dollars, and somehow I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I had to I, every race in the every horse in the race pegged one hundred percent right. The two bombs run one two that I that I liked, and I have I, I wound up with nothing. Like that's frustrating. That was like double frustrating, but. But there are times when you see one, and, and like the horse uh, New Year's Eve. I was waiting for that horse. I saw that race and I was like, this horse is way better than it looks. That race was way tougher on that Philly and the trip, blah, blah, blah. And then she runs big and and it's like, yeah, 15 to one that helped a lot, but it was just good. That good feeling you get knowing that, you know, you were right in a game that you're going to be right (laughs) a whole lot less than you're going to be wrong. But um, that still exists out there. And, and, you know, as long as they run races, we're going to have that. So, you know, I mean, we, we talk about a lot of negative stuff, but the fact of the matter is we do need new people. We need more people. or We need people to get back in the game. We need people that are in to expand what they're doing. Without them, we're never going to get the betting side to where it needs to be. We can't have five horse fields all the time. We just can't. No, that's that's horrible. So, I mean, to me, that's 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 the first thing you really need to get accomplished. You need to get more people. You need to get the, the numbers back up. And I know there's other issues. I I get it. I mean, it's like everything that Racing is, is just a complicated sport because it's just so, number one, it's just so wide. In the end, and, and this is part of going back to the state thing, racing is really a regional game. It really is a regional game. It just has, now we can bet all the tracks, but I mean, when we were kids when we were growing up, we, 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 we bet our track that we were at. That was it. We didn't have any other access to any other tracks. It was completely regional. We knew our guys. We knew our horses. That that was it. That was all we had. We didn't have the ability to bet everywhere else. 
Yeah, it it seems like it's it's gotten too accessible in that regard because it's just hard to keep up with. Like you said, it, it's just a lot. You know, when I was a kid, and I, I know we've talked about this, where you'd go to your local track, A, because it was the only way you could bet, <laughs> and then you would see, like, I don't know, it was in the early 90s, I guess, when they started doing the simulcast from, like, we used to get one track from, yeah, you know, one big race from another track. Yeah, yeah. it was like mid-90s when they started taking, like, a, a, like a, a designated race, race or, right. or two, you know? And it was a treat, man. I was like, oh, wow, you get to bet on <laughs> another track today. I know. Good times. Like, we couldn't even see the PPs. No. Like, we never saw the PPs for California racing until the horses came east. Yeah, I remember, you know, because, like, the whole thing with the way California clockers um, time and record workouts were different than the East Coast. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when we started getting exposed to, to the West Coast PPs, it was like, oh, my God, these horses are just super fast. Yeah. Yeah. And the East Coast, if a horse worked three quarters and 11 and changed, like only Seattle Slough could do that. <laughs> like like normal horses couldn't do things like that. In California, it was like, I don't know where everything. But remember, they had different – the the California, the West Coast uh, form, the DRF, was like now tablet kind of you know like a book version yep. the east coast form and the midwest form was like you would buy a, a newspaper a regular newspaper like mm-hmm. you know, fold over so even that was different and uh, um you know they, they had a completely different format it was just yeah i got exposed to that when i went to to vegas <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that was they right when you went to vegas that was like that was the one place where you could bet all the tracks and, and it was, you know, it was, it was special. It was not like it is now where we oh, lost that mm-hmm. because now, now hell we, we, we got the PPs the same day they're drawn. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, you know, we used to get, um, when we were in Saratoga, living in Saratoga, uh, the only time we got the advanced form, was during the meet and um otherwise you'd have to buy the form the morning of which you know was always i mean can you imagine like not knowing not seeing tomorrow's form until tomorrow well yeah i mean i i remember you know when i first got my license (laughs) i used to drive to rockingham just to buy the the racing form for the next day yeah wouldn't come out until like later in the day yeah yeah so i couldn't go there like at you know 10 11 o'clock in the morning or or even 12 it had to be like towards later part of the day and you could buy the form and then they only had limited amount yeah they were like they were like physically delivering the thing yes jersey yeah paper people paper man paper boy paper girl type shit yeah
Yeah, those were the days, man. People have no idea how hard it was to make a bet. <laughs> oh my god, it was f- impossible, dude. Unless you live near a track, you really had to plan your way your whole day around making a bet. You'd go to the OTB, pay the surcharge. <laughs> At the time, you know, <laughs> I didn't have a whole lot of money to bet, so I wasn't that particularly concerned about the surcharge when I had about 20 bucks total to wager with. But, yeah, those were the days, man. Those were the days. That's why I, I kind of laugh when I hear people say, oh, you know, racing hasn't changed in 100 years. Like, oh, it's changed. <laughs> really? It's... Yeah. Yeah. How long ago was it you were betting on Hong Kong at 5 o'clock in the morning? Honestly, that's relatively new. Exactly. That's what I mean. That's like, that's, you know. We didn't have the ability to bet every <clears throat> every track, let alone you know. Australia. I, I got exposed to that on you bet. Remember that before mm-hmm. it turned into TVG. Yeah, well, you bet turned into uh, Twin Spires. I thought. No, I turned into TVG. Did it? I think. I think I thought I thought that was Twin Spires, but pretty sure it was you bet that turned. Because uh... could be wrong, but. Sure, somebody will correct us. We had to dial up. Remember that we had to. Dial oh up. man, that was the worst. And the video would come in and and like like going down little the tiny backside. little tiny grainy screen and you can't even the see backside, the, and the it number. Freeze. It freeze like that was the longest like twenty seconds when the thing would freeze up and it'd pick back up and it'd be at the top of the stretch and you'd be trying to figure out if you're winning or losing. Oh. And then, then it'd be after the race, and you'd see the horse galloping back. There was nothing worse. There was no worse feeling than when you thought you'd won, and then the horse galloping back, and it's not your horse. Like shit, what happened? Oh, that was yeah. That, those those were the days, my friend. Those those days. Uh, things are much much better now than, than they were back then. I just have to once in a while erupt on Verizon because their service is so crappy well just think about you know like it was recently like that you couldn't bet with certain uh visa cards right that's that's relatively recent that they got rid of that nonsense like they wouldn't you couldn't deposit into into a gambling establishment online with a visa card. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's still states where you cannot bet and your ADWs won't even work. Texas, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, that's um, North Carolina. Uh, South Carolina. North, North Carolina, where horse racing is legal, but wagering on it is not. <laughs> the ultimate slap in the face. <laughs> But well, well. Anyways, we still have to pin you down for a date for Saratoga. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta text the mayor for the Saratoga soiree. Are you gonna bring the sword? I should. Barry's got this sword, man. Barry's son <laughs> bought, bought a sword, and it's like 
the same thing that Conan the Barbarian used in the movie. <laughs> like when Arnold was whipping that thing around. It's like the same thing. Yeah. Are swords not allowed at trace tracks? It's, it's, it's not a real sword, right? It's pretty real to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you hit somebody in the head with it when they chop their head off, but no, I wouldn't do that. But it, it, it'd give them a concussion, that's for sure. <laughs> it'll ring their bell quite a bit. It, it'll ring their bell, yeah, man. That's. I mean, you're not going to be able to sneak it in. You're going to no. have to have a. I, well, I'm I'm tall enough where I can, you know, wear it like jeans. Stuff it in my pants. I don't know if I'd be wanting to stuff that thing in my pants. <laughs> hey, buddy, that a sword in your pants? <laughs> Why, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it's very rigid as well. <laughs> yeah, man, that thing is. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're we're going in territory that we're going to get rated X by the podcast people, but um. <laughs> yeah, we gotta we gotta get to Saratoga. Saratoga's not that far off. No, I know. That's what's crazy. It's July fifteenth, right? Yeah. I know I know I saw commercials for for uh if Heiser doesn't shut the racing world down. For Delmar, be- that starts on the twenty first of July. I'm ready, man. I just I gotta I gotta text the mayor and tell him to give me the key to the city. <clears throat> Yeah. Oh, if the mayor don't have the key, he'll he'll hotwire it. Yeah, uh, he'll he'll figure it out. <laughs> He's the man. Yeah, I saw he was in Lake George today. He tweeted out or, or sent a put a Facebook thing. Yeah, on a boat or something, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> let's hope all walls is still okay. Yeah, as long as there's no fireball involved, I think we'll be all right. Yeah, when we get the story, it was everything was fine until we rammed that other boat <laughs> and it sunk. And then I sold my shirt. Yeah, I had to sell my clothes to get out of it. Yeah, I mean Saratoga's always fun, no matter what. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll be <laughs> outrageously expensive for everything. Oh yeah, inflation is crazy, man. Yeah, it'll probably be like a haddock sandwich going to cost twenty bucks. Huh? Hattie's sandwich going to cost $20. Yeah. No, it's going to be it's going to be ridiculously expensive, but you know, Saratoga is We'll still have fun. Oh yeah. You know, it just gives you more incentive to 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 win. True. Winners pay. That's right. That's okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'll be there pretty much the entire season. So, looking forward to it. You got to do like a homage to our guy, Stephen Christ. Yeah, I, I wrote Give some daily daily spiel about the the ongoings. Yeah, I got a, I got a note from Stephen Christ the other day. That's like, wild. Yeah, that was that was nice. I mean. Stephen Chris was one of those guys that when we were you know, growing up, like he was one of the authorities on racing and, and he spoke in a manner that made sense to us. And he tried to right wrongs and, you know, he was, he was one of the guys, you know, and 
him and Andy Byer, they they were they brought wagering from the dark ages, you know, where people were betting on based on you know ridiculous <laughs> merits and and you know like him by our, our guy Mark Kramer, uh, Broham, or all those guys really, um, you know, that was kind of the golden age of of, uh, of handicapping. Yeah, I mean, when I used to drive uh, from Mass over to Saratoga like every weekend, that was one of the things that I didn't want to miss was Stephen Chris talking on what now would be considered talking horses. I mean, just just listening to what he had to say, whether I agreed with his picks or not, you know, really gave me a, a good foundation on, on how to play the races. And, you know, looking back, it was just like invaluable, like the information he he provided on a daily basis. And, and even at that time, you know, he was still working for uh, that's what I, I believe he was with the Racing Times at that point. Right. Well, he was kind of the editor, I guess, <laughs> of the Racing Times. Yeah. So, you know, it was just it was just crazy, and I I couldn't make heads or tails of, you know, my father liked the the, <laughs> the Racing Times newspaper, and I was kind of a, a DRF lifer, even when I was twelve years old. Um but my dad was all about trying something new and they had, you know, almost like a pace projector in there and all kinds of stuff that was, that was cool that when it ended up folding, you know, DRF took a lot of that stuff and incorporated it rightfully. So, I mean, it was, it was good content. Yeah. Now the racing times did a lot. I mean, it wasn't around long, but it it made a lot of, um, very impactful. Yeah. Yep, it sure was. But um, yeah, it was it, it was nice to find out that Stephen Chris actually writes stuff I read. Or, oh, oops. <laughs> I mean, let me rephrase that. He actually reads the stuff I write. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, yeah, it, it is because uh, you know Mark Kramer too. Mark is yeah, Mark's avid in our little Facebook group. Yeah, yeah. These these guys were just ahead of their time, and we haven't replicated them anymore. And we don't we don't. There's not many people that really write about racing in a critical manner, and that that's kind of why I started doing it. And that most of the people that are employed to write about racing are employed by a racetrack or an ADW or uh, an organization that's going to frown upon them right, talking that... about things that they won't want talked about, even if the big picture it's good to talk about those things and it's not like um people are making accusatory statements about criminal acts or something crazy and there's a a sensitivity in this business that just is it's baffling to me why people are so sensitive it's over the top to be honest it's crazy 
to think that, you know, people in horse racing can't be second guessed. It's horse racing, man. It's freaking farm animals running in a circle with a little guy <laughs> in a, their back hitting them with a stick. We're well, not the whole caring, sport not is based on, you know, the betting is, is all based on opinion. Everything's opinion. Yeah. So it just doesn't make any sense. Like I'm, I'm with you on that. It's, and it's, it's, it's everything. Open. Everything's a wager in this business. It's a wager. It, it, when you breed a mare, you're you're betting that that. Well, a, you're betting she'll get in full. B, you're betting that that genetic mix is gonna work. Um, you're betting that that foal is going to be either um, popular to sell, or it's going to be a horse that you're going to race. It's going to race well. And, you know, if you sell them, you hope they race well, too. That when you buy a horse as an owner, that that's you're, you're making a bet. You're betting on that horse is going to be a successful earner. Um, it, it's 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 a risk business. It just is. And I mean, you're, you're going to be wrong a whole lot more. than You're going to be right. I just don't see why people are so. Um, sensitive about things and people say, oh, you're going to cost me my job. No, I'm not going to cost you your job. You're, you're costing yourself your job by not doing it properly. And, and listen, people make mistakes. The, the, those things happen. And yeah, the more stuff you try, the more times you're going to you know, you're going to swing and miss. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you shouldn't stop trying. But like we get to, to these situations where we're just not allowed to point out you know, hey, so and so, this track's got a bunch of short fields. So you know, you got to pick on us all the time. No, I'm not picking on you. <laughs> you have Fix short it. fields. Fix it. You have, you have short. You have short fields. You know, it's it's like you know, we're not gonna like you, like you're not supposed to see what you see. Right. Like when Muggsy Bogues walks out there at five foot three, people are saying he's, like, he's, he's actually three. normal size. It's an optical illusion. He's short. You make right. the dip. You make the best of it. But that's the thing: is, is stop crying that. Oh, you know, you're you're picking on us, or you're making fun of us, or you're saying stuff about us. Well, that's the thing. Anybody that that talks to either one of us knows that, you know, we love the sport. We want it to thrive. We want it to to improve, to to where it was. Let's say, in the mid early '90s, that's where we want to be. Um, so any anybody that says different or gets offended by things that we may happen to say. It, it it says more about them than it does about us, to be honest. Um, and it's not necessary. I mean, we're not, you know, our, our podcast or us as people or us as horse players or horse men in your case. Uh, we just want the best for the sport. We want it to continue. We want, you know, we want my 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 daughter to 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 go to the races and enjoy it. I mean, she's grown up on it so far. Um, that's the stuff that I want to see. And if it means being critical about it now, so it does continue in the future, then I'm all for it. And yeah. it's, it's not a bad. And that's what people don't really understand or don't have the reservation because now everything that someone says, it's like, oh, well, you're attacking me about this and you're attacking me about that. And it's not necessarily the case. There's, there's a such thing as dialogue. And not everything is is malicious. Yeah. Especially criticism. Yeah. You know, like when I say your card's a chalk fest, 
That's pretty much what it is. I'm just <laughs> pointing out the fact that, you know, it was a chalk fest. I mean, <clears throat> I don't like it. <laughs> but, I mean, it happens. Like, right. Yeah. You know, sometimes it happens. You get scratches, you get off the turf, you get a lot of prohibitive favorites. I mean, it happens. I just wish people in positions of power just, I just wish they believed in the sport a little bit more. Because that's the thing is, you got to really believe in the sport, not the participants, not the people, not the rules, not the this, not the that, the sport, the 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 the, the putting horses in a gate, having them run around a track, and having wagers on them. If you don't believe in that, then you shouldn't. Then then if you're working for a track or you're working wherever, you're stealing money. You're stealing money. You don't believe in it. You shouldn't do it because it's way, way, way too difficult and it's too hard and it's too nuanced that to just mail it in. It just is. I mean, do you think there's any any general managers in the NBA that don't love basketball? Like those people are completely obsessed with it. Right. They're totally immersed. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, and any professional sport because – the stakes are so high, and because it's, the competition is so fierce, we're in that battle right now, and yet people still are very nonchalant about it. If you don't believe in horse racing, then what are you doing in it? What are you doing in it? And, and for the people that hire those people, if the person isn't really... Um, and, and that doesn't mean you're a rah-rah guy. That doesn't mean, oh, yeah, great. Oh, oh cheerleader, cheerleader, cheerleader. No. I mean, believing in the game. Believe in what's going on. If you don't think that the sport is great, then you're never going to succeed. Maybe you'll succeed in, 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 in tearing the thing down and replacing it with slot machines or something else. But, you know, I'm not naive enough to understand that uh, not everything is what it seems in this business, just or, or life in general. Right. I was gonna say just I mean, we used to have politicians things. that gave a shit about what the people thought. Now they don't even care. They don't even care what anyone thinks. They don't even care because they know half the suckers will vote for one side and the other half the suckers will vote for the other side. And they don't even like try to appease people on anything. We have complete gridlock. Complete gridlock on everything. And and that's that's at the state level. It's at, it's it's everywhere. Absolutely. I mean, and and like people, oh, you know, uh, uh, make sure you you do your con- uh, constitutionally given right to vote. You're voting for clown one or clown two in a lot of cases, and a lot of times they're lying to you anyways to get you to vote for them. Then they don't do what they tell you they're going to do in the first place. Right. They're just taking care of their own interests. I mean, we don't even get bothers. You know, and that's, and you know me, I despise <laughs> talking politics, <laughs> virtually all of them, but it's just a symptom of, of our whole society. <sighs> anyway, so the Rangers are going to win. Well, that'll make people happy because I'm sick of hearing the MIG talk about the Rangers. Well, they're just going to win the lose to Tampa. So I guess that's... I don't even know who plays. Does Brady play for them? It doesn't matter. Listen, I am the most. Uh, I should say the, the least versed white person in, in, in hockey that exists. <laughs> like I, 
Like, I haven't cared about hockey since Patrick Rouah retired. Dang, bro. See, growing up in Boston, I kind of had no choice. Boston. Oh. Terry Sawchuck. <laughs> Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr, kid. <laughs> Hockey's kind of cool to go watch in, in person. Yeah, it is. It's fast and, you know, there's a lot of action. Playoff hockey is great. I guess. <laughs> I don't have any rooting interest in any of these. No, I, I don't have any rooting interest in any sport, to be honest with you. I like watching, you know, football and and basketball and baseball, whatever. I mean, it, it really doesn't matter, but I'm not going to be, like, a super fan. That's one thing you won't catch me doing. You know, and I'll favor the teams that I'm local to because I see them all the time. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not a super fan. Super fans I just don't understand. I'll fight a guy over the Knicks. Will you? Let's the Dolphins? That. Hell yeah. Dolphins are going to be real. Especially big. Jet fans. I want to I wanna fight Jet fans. I want to fight them. You going to fight Matt? Who's Matt? Matt from Tampa is a... Giant Jets fan, like he's like the only Jets fan I know. No, but he's cool, so I wouldn't fight him. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I do have some friends that are Jet fans. I mean, it's, it's just listen. Everybody has a little bit of insanity in their life, and those people that's that's their choice. You know, that's that's their insane thing. I have a Mets hat. Does that count? No, oh, Mets are okay. Mets and Jets. Let's go Mets. No, Giants. No. Yeah. They go together, right? Yankees, no, Giants, no, no, no. Mets, Jets. You, you can't, you can't, you can't make that 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 leap. You can't make that. Leap. No, they're all individuals. I thought that was like the thing. Like most or majority of Giants fans are Yankees. Maybe it is, but I, I just don't. You know, we don't go there. We don't. Go. Okay. I kind of like the Mets. I mean, they had Bartolo Colon. Paying Bobby Bonilla. Going back, going back to the Dave Kingman years. Oh, it's all you know, Strawberry Gooden, yeah. Wally Backman. Uh, I mean, I never, I, I, I never liked the Yankees. Dykstra, but the Mets were always kind of, yeah, you know. But Keith uh, Hernandez, Gary Carter. I, I, I had, I had an irrational hatred of Mike Bossy. <laughs> I never did figure out why. I can't remember why I didn't like him. I really like did. I hated the Islanders. I don't even watch hockey, and I didn't like the Islanders. I would, ugh, when they were good, they had some guy Butch Goring. Oh, I didn't like him. And the guy, the goalie, the goalie was a like a cheap shot guy, Billy Smith. <laughs> don't ask me how I remember all these things because I wouldn't even hardly watch it. But but no, I didn't like them at all. That's when the Rangers sucked. I mean, I followed a little bit in 1994 when the Rangers won, just because, like, if you lived in New York, that you just had no choice but to follow it because they hadn't won in so long and messy. Hey, yeah, uh, when I was a kid, uh, where I lived, a hockey player lived, you know, kind of around the corner from us. Guy's name was Steve Casper. He ended up being a coach, I think, for the L.A. Kings. 
little guy, you know, and it was surprising because, you know, I was used to basketball people and they were all giants. And this guy was like a normal sized guy. He used to run around our block with these two large golden retrievers. But he was like the nicest guy in the world. And we used to just knock on his door and he used to give us autographs like all the time. <laughs> he was the coolest dude. And, and like uh, a couple of my friends went to school with like Ray Bork's kids and stuff like that. Uh, my sister went to school with the Heinz brothers. I know the hockey people will understand that. Um, so although I never played hockey, I, I kind of had to warm up to it a little bit. Yeah. Skating was never a, uh, <laughs> it's not my strong suit. I tried it once. Yeah. Skate skating. is <laughs> not, not a skater. <laughs> so, well, my friend, if we didn't make everybody want to jump off the building, shoot themselves. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Well, people will get us on, on, on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, the Facebook people are brutal. Or we'll get these wild out of bounds emails. <laughs> you know, 95% of the people are always pretty cool. And, and yeah, honestly, they, if you have a, if you have like a, um, like a like a criticism, who cares? Yeah, say it. I mean, yeah, it's fine. We don't we don't mind. I mean, it can only make us better, right? <laughs> Every once in a while, somebody will come with some crazy stuff, nonsense, <laughs> like yeah. like like some wild stuff. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> what? Are you Wait, sure what? You the, are you sure you got the right? email <laughs> well well till next week next week will be what uh, Belmont Eve week right yeah the week before the Belmont I'm telling you man a month between triple crown races that would be agony bro this is way ridiculous. way long too long too long too long too long too long we had Frank Vespi on the other day. We had a special show. Yeah, special edition. Talking about Maryland and the challenges. I have no idea how they're going to fix that Laurel thing, man. Unless the politicians like nobody does. That's the problem. And say we're we're going to give you some sort of dispensation one time for this one um, renovation, which would you know be better than nothing, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's it just it's very complicated. You're trying to run a year-round circuit while renovating both of the tracks simultaneously. It's, yeah, that's tough. Right. It's like a puzzle that that uh, that can't be solved actually, but you're gonna have to keep trying it. Uh, you know, reimagining Pimlico in a different, completely different fashion. Changing the angle of the track. Right? Yeah, I mean, rotating so many- it like. Five such degrees. a such a, a massive undertaking, and then you wonder if the money is going to be enough, and how long. I mean, these kind of things never seem to be finished on time, and it's not like you're dealing with um, a place that has stable weather as well. 
once you get into the, the the late fall and winter months, I mean, you could get any kind of weather up there. So that's going to play a part too in, in trying to get the you know the, the things done. So it's uh, it's going to be a challenge. So and but Maryland's an important racing state. I mean, it's not one of the top top racing states, but. It is important, and it is, it's kind of more of a B feel to it, but it does host the Triple Crown race. And I mean, Maryland technically probably should do better. I mean, the breeding program there has always been pretty good. Yeah, they don't stand Northern Dancer anymore, but but it's been a, a pretty you know a pretty successful breed uh, operation over the years, and. I mean, it's it's uh, it's difficult. It's difficult, but but that's racing, you know. Nothing yeah, is easy. Absolutely, <laughs> nothing. Literally, nothing. <laughs> nothing comes easy in horse racing. So, so all right. Till next week, uh, everybody to listen to up to this point. You get uh, you get my five star hockey play of the week. This week. <laughs> Tampa, Tampa, Tampa. I figure who's playing. <laughs> who's on? Who, I couldn't name one player in Tampa. I, I don't know that I could name one player that ever played for Tampa. You serious? Stamkos? You don't know who that is? Oh, yeah, yeah, Stamkos. Jeez. Even I know that. <laughs> they used to have some little guy named Marty. Marty. Yeah. I went to a game one time. Proctor got us tickets. We had good seats, man. I don't remember who they played. I don't even remember if they won or not. I remember it was cold in the arena, though. Uh, yeah, hence the ice. I'm just yeah. saying. <laughs> it felt good, though. It was hot. It's hot in Tampa. Martin St. Louis. Yeah, Martin St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. He was little. I remember the guy was little, but he was like real fast. He was all over the ice. Martin St. Louis. <laughs> Played for the Rangers, too. Did he? Yeah, I missed that. I missed that segment of his career. Matter of fact, the only thing I know about his career is that one game when I saw him play. I actually played fantasy hockey one year. Like... 15 years ago, and I knew none of the guys, but I just drafted, like, on stats. And I would just, like, when a guy got hurt, I would pick up whoever was, like, the hot guy that, you know, was getting picked up by everyone else. And I actually finished in, like, third. And I was thinking to myself, these guys suck. At right, you guys are supposed to be I don't know anybody. <laughs> I had some guy, I, I, had a, I had a brother on the team, some guy from Calgary. Jerome something or other. And he was like leading scorer in the league that year. But um yeah, that was my one that was my one fantasy hockey league. Don't know anything. But I just went it was completely on, on whoever I, I had I had no biases. I didn't like anybody, I didn't hate anybody. I just picked on the numbers. I, I was picking on numbers. I wasn't even sure what the stat was. All I knew was <laughs> yeah, the more you had, the better it was. So that's what I, I went after guys that had that stat. So 
G. G is the main one. Uh, yeah. Go. G or A. <laughs> but that was that was uh, I guess that's that's all you really need to know about fantasy sports. <laughs> Even though the uh the two baseball players got in a uh, fight over it. Tommy Fan smacked Jock smacked Peterson. Oh out of that dude. over over a, a fantasy foot a football <laughs> stashing the guy in the injured reserve list. That I was that, thinking, man. That'll earn you a slap. He said, uh, you don't respect my money. I'm thinking, man, how much are these guys playing for? Yeah, it's probably a stupid amount. Oh, fantasy football is the most mind-boggling thing. In the, it's the most frustrating thing in the world when your quarterback goes down. Oh, man. Like, I, I, don't, I didn't play it the last two years. I got so – I had that McCaffrey guy from – that, that, that ran and caught like 18 million yards, 50. Oh, yeah. And then I got him, and then he like does not. Yeah, all of a sudden he's flight line. He he, he, he plays one game every four months. <laughs> <laughs> that guy turned right into flight line. <sighs> oh, we, we should do something. We should have a fantasy football league, fantasy horse racing league. How about that? Horse racing is too frustrating. Ugh. I have too many biases in horse racing. I don't want to pick up that guy. I don't like that trainer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have to root for that guy. He's a jerk. We could do the Chris effect and just draft all Chicago Wolves players. Listen, fantasy NBA was hard enough. Well, yeah, this year was it was kind of a asterisk because we had COVID times during the season this year again, and it. Ruined my whole season. Yep. I got that weak ankle, Joe Harris. Oh, he still hasn't played yet. Guy sprained his ankle and missed the year. He's gonna miss two years. You need to put him on IR. You can amputate. Wave him. Just, just take a saw out. Just unconditional waiver. Joe Harris, you ruined my year. I didn't draft enough forwards. Oh my right, god. We're talking about what we in fantasy sports. People are right right now about to kill themselves now. They haven't they haven't set themselves on fire or jumped out of a building yet. They're they're now getting ready to after I start talking about my fantasy NBA mishaps. I think I think Craig might want to hear that. Yeah, drafting a a, a, a Thunder players like fantasy NBA death because you never know when they're gonna stiff him. I did oh, not we're gonna we're gonna shut him down for the season. I think he's got a uh, a blister. <laughs> he's got a <laughs> he's sleepy. Uh, he Just slept like... wrong. He's gonna miss <laughs> the next two months. And and they're not trying to win. I mean that, that always makes it a little difficult when they stop playing the good play the better players because they want to lose. Oh the thunder. Someday the thunder is going to turn it around and Craig's going to have the last laugh. And we don't even really make fun of them that much because it's like everybody knows they're not really trying. So how do you make fun of a team that's losing, that's trying to lose, right? I mean, that's kind of what their goal is. For achieving goal. No, but you just got to try to time it to where they turn the corner. Though so if they draft, the, team if they draft the, the guy out of Gonzaga, they will have the skinniest pair of players with him and Poku. <laughs> I think I weigh more than those guys combined. combined. Yeah. Not I that think. anyone would mistake me with a skinny guy, but 
all right that's enough um yeah see you next week we will uh see you next week (laughs) thanks for listening hey guys i wanted to talk to you quickly about some of the changes coming to the going in circles digest which is our sort of weekly newsletter that we put out that covers a, a wide variety of topics uh just lately we've added some guest columnists Sid Fernando wrote a great piece for us a couple weeks back, and Julian Brown has really helped us out with some uh, excellent handicapping uh, articles, and we're going to expand on the handicapping, especially uh, you know with Julian's writing, who who used Julian used to write for American Turf Monthly, um, but it's something that uh, we we think people seem to be interested in, and. Certainly, any timely topic is, is something that's going to be covered, and uh, we're going to do a lot of uh, our weekly previews, especially for the big days and, and the Triple Crown races. Uh, we also want to put it out there that anyone that has something to say, you can be a guest writer. Just contact me. There's... Of a variety of ways going in circles podcast at gmail.com is probably the easiest and we'll uh, we'll put you out there and we're not exactly uh at the distribution point of the new york times or anything but we do get a lot of click-ons and if you have something to say well we'll help you say it all right guys if you have any suggestions anything you want to hear about anything you want to uh read about Hit me up, going in circles podcast at gmail.com and uh, check it out. Going in circles digest dot substack dot com. Free subscription. Thanks, guys. <laughs>